Section 27 of History of the Catholic Church from the Renaissance to the French Revolution, Volume 1, by Reverend James McCaffrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Febronianism and Josephism The spirit of opposition to the Holy See soon spread from France to the various states of the Holy Roman Empire. The violent onslaughts of the reformers and the imminent danger of heresy had driven the Catholics of Germany to cling more closely to the Holy See, and had helped to extinguish the anti-Roman feeling that had been so strong in the early years of the sixteenth century. But once the religious wars had ended without a decisive victory for either party, and once the theory of imperial neutrality had been sanctioned formally by the Peace of Westphalia, 1648, the Catholic rulers of Germany, not excluding even the spiritual princes, showed more anxiety to increase their own power than to safeguard the interests of their religion. The example of the Protestant states, where the rulers were supreme in religious as in temporal affairs, could not fail to encourage Catholic sovereigns to assert for themselves greater authority over the Church in their own territories, and other disregard of the rights of the Pope and of the constitution of the Church. Frequently during the reigns of Leopold I, 1657-1705, of Joseph I, 1705 to 11, and of Charles VI, 1711 to 40, the interference of the civil power in ecclesiastical affairs had given just cause for complaint. But it was only during the reign of Francis I, 1745 to 65, and more especially of Joseph II, 1765 to 90, that the full result of the Jansenist, Gallican, and liberal Catholic teaching made themselves felt in the empire as a whole, and in the various states of which the empire was composed. The most learned exponent of Gallican views on the German side of the Rhine was John Nicholas von Holtheim, 1701-90, who was himself a student of Van Espen, 1646-1728, the well-known Gallican and Jansenist professor of canon law in the University of Louvain. On the return of von Holtheim to his native city of Trier, he was entrusted with various important offices by the Prince Bishop of Trier, by whose advice he was appointed Assistant Bishop of the See. 1740. He was a man of great ability, well-versed especially in ecclesiastical and local history, and a close student of the writings of the Gallicans, Richard, Dupin, Thomasin, and Van Espen. At the time, the hope of a reunion between the Lutherans and the Catholics in Germany was not abandoned completely. It seemed to von Homtheim that by lessening the power of the papacy, which was regarded by the Protestants as the greatest obstacle to reconciliation, Gallicanism provided a basis for a good reunion program that was likely to be acceptable to moderate men of both parties in Germany. With the object, therefore, promoting the cause of reunion, he settled himself to compose this remarkable book, De Statu Ecclesia et de Legitima Potestate Romani Pontificis, published in 1762 under the assumed name of Justinus Febronius. According to Febronius, Christ entrusted the powers of the keys not to the Pope nor to the hierarchy, but to the whole body of the faithful, who in turn handed over the duty of administration to the Pope and the hierarchy. All bishops, according to him, were equal, and all were independent of the government of their own diocese, though at the same time, for the purpose of preserving unity, a primacy of honor should be accorded to the successor of St. Peter. But this primacy was not necessarily the special prerogative of the Roman See. It could be separated from that church and transferred to another diocese. In the early ages of Christianity, the Roman bishops never claimed the power wielded by their successors in later times. 
these pretensions to supreme jurisdiction were founded upon the false decretals of isidore and other forgeries and constituted a corruption that should not be tolerated any longer in the church in reality the pope was only the first among equals empowered no doubt to carry on the administration of the church but incapable of making laws or irreformable decrees on faith or morals he was subject to a general council which alone enjoyed the prerogative of infallibility febronius called upon the pope to abandon his untenable demands and to be content with the position held by his predecessors in the early centuries if he refused to do so spontaneously he should be forced to give up his usurpations and if necessary the bishops should call upon the civil rulers to assist them in their struggle as a means of restoring the papacy to its rightful position febronius recommended the convocation of national synods and of a general council the proper instruction of priests and people the judicious use of the royal placet on papal announcements the enforcement of the appellatio ab ababusu against papal and episcopal aggression and as a last resort the refusal of obedience the book was in such complete accord with the absolutist tendencies of the age that it was received with applause by the civil rulers and by the court canonists theologians and lawyers who saw in it the realization of their own dreams of a state church subservient to the civil ruler the book was however condemned by clement the thirteenth seventeen sixty four who exhorted the german bishops to take vigorous measures against such dangerous theories many of the bishops were indifferent others of them were favourable to von hytham's views but the majority suppressed the book in their dioceses several treatises were published in reply to febronius the most notable of which were those from the pen of ballerini and zaccaria new editions of the work of febronius were called for and translations of the whole or part of it appeared in german italian french spanish and portuguese it was received with great favour in austria where the principles of febronius were adopted by most of the leading court canonists at a meeting held in coblenz seventeen sixty nine the three prince bishops of mainz trier and cologne presented a catalogue of complaints Gravamina, against the roman curia many of which were extracted from or based upon the work of Huntheim. after repeated appeals of the pope to the prince bishop of trier to exercise his influence upon von Huntheim, the latter consented to make a retraction in seventeen seventy eight but his followers alleged that the retraction having been secured by threats was valueless this contention was published by a commentary published by Huntheim in explanation of his retraction in which he showed clearly enough that he had not receded an inch from his original position before his death in seventeen ninety he expressed regret for the doctrine he put forward and died in full communion with the church the teaching of febronius paving the way as it did for the supremacy of the state in religious matters was welcomed by the emperor joseph the second by the elector of bavaria as well as by the spiritual princes of the rhine provinces in austria especially violent measures were taken to assert the royal supremacy joseph the second was influenced largely by the gallican and liberal tendencies of his early teachers and advisers he dreamed of making austria a rich powerful and united kingdom and becoming himself its supreme and absolute ruler during the reign of his mother maria theresa he was kept in check but after her death in seventeen eighty in conjunction with his prime minister Konitz, he began to inaugurate his schemes of ecclesiastical reform he insisted upon the royal placet on all documents issued by the pope or by the bishops forbade the bishops of his territories to hold any direct communication with rome or to ask for a renewal of their faculties which faculties he undertook to confer by his own authority 
he forbade all his subjects to seek or accept honors from the pope insisted upon the bishops taking the oath of allegiance to himself before their consecration introduced a system of state-controlled education and suppressed a number of religious houses in order that the clergy might be instructed in the proper ecclesiastical principles he abolished the episcopal seminaries and established central seminaries at vienna pest louvain freiburg and pavia for the education of the clergy in his dominions clerical students from austria were forbidden to frequent the collegium germanicum at rome thus they should be brought under the influence of ultramontane teaching even the smallest details of ecclesiastical worship were determined by royal decrees in all these reforms joseph ii was but reducing to practice the teaching of febronius by personal letters and by communications through his nuncio pius vi sought to induce joseph ii to abstain from such a policy of state aggression but as all his representations were ineffective he determined to undertake a journey to vienna in the hope that his presence might bring about a change in the policy of the emperor or at least stir up the bishops to defend the interests of the church seventeen eighty two he arrived at vienna had frequent interviews with the emperor and with his minister Konitz, and was obliged to leave without any other result except that he had assured himself of the fact that whatever about the emperor or the bishops the majority of the people of austria were still loyal to the head of the catholic church the following year seventeen eighty three joseph ii paid a return visit to rome when he was induced by the representations of the spanish ambassador to desist from his plan of a complete severance of Austria from the Holy See. Joseph II had, however, proceeded too quickly and too violently in his measures of reform. The people and the large body of the clergy were opposed to him, as were also the Cardinal Archbishop of Vienna, the bishops of Hungary, and the bishops of Belgium, under the leadership of Cardinal Frankenberg. The state of affairs in the Austrian Netherlands became so threatening that the people rose in revolt, 1789, and joseph ii found himself obliged to turn to the pope whom he had so maltreated and despised in the hope that he might induce the belgian catholics to return to their allegiance he promised to withdraw most of the reforms that he had introduced but his repentance came too late to save the austrian rule in the netherlands he died in seventeen ninety with the full consciousness of the failure of all his schemes while joseph ii was reducing febronianism to practice in the austrian territories the prince-bishops of Mainz, Trier, and Cologne hastened to show their anxiety for the suppression of ultramontanism in the Rhinelands. The list of grievances against Rome presented to the emperor in 1769 indicated clearly their attachment to Gallican principles, and this feeling was not likely to be weakened by the erection of an apostolic nunciature at Munich in 1785. This step was taken by the Pope at the request of Karl Theodore, elector of Bavaria, a great part of whose territory was under the spiritual rule of the prince-bishops. The prince-bishops of the West, together with the prince-bishop of Salzburg, all of whom were hostile already to the papal nuncio, were greatly incensed by what they had considered this new derogation of their rights, and sent representatives to a congress convoked to meet at Ems, 1786. The result of the congress was the celebrated document known as the Punctuation of Ems, in which they declared that most of the prerogatives claimed by the Pope were unknown in the early centuries, and were based entirely on the false decretals. They insisted that there should be no longer appeals to Rome, that papal ordinances should be binding in any diocese, only after they had been accepted by the bishop of the diocese, that the oath of allegiance taken by all bishops before consecration should be changed, that no quinquennial faculties should be sought, as bishops already had such faculties by virtue of their office, 
and that religious orders should not be exempt from the authority of the ordinaries, nor be placed under the jurisdiction of foreign superiors. The punctuation of M's reduced the primacy of the Pope to a mere primacy of honour, and had it been acted upon, it must have led inevitably to national schism. The bishops forwarded a document to Joseph II, who, while approving of it, refused to interfere. The elector of Bavaria opposed the action of the bishops, as did also Pacca, 1756 to 1854, the papal nuncio at Cologne. The latter issued a circular to the clergy, warning them that the dispensations granted by the prince bishops, without reference to Rome, were worthless. This circular gave great annoyance to the prince bishops, particularly as they found themselves deserted by most of those on whose support they had relied. Even the Protestant ruler, Frederick II of Prussia, took the part of Rome against the archbishops. In face of the unfriendly attitude of the bishops and clergy, nothing remained for the prince bishops but to withdraw from an untenable position. The archbishop of Cologne, for reasons of his own, made a submission and asked for a renewal of his quinquennial faculties. 1787. The Archbishop of Trier made a similar application, not indeed as Archbishop of Trier, but as Bishop of Augsburg. But their submission was meant only to gain time. They sought to have the matter brought before the Diet of Regensburg in 1788, but the action of the Elector of Bavaria produced an unfavorable verdict. Having failed in their design, they addressed a letter to the Pope, asking him to put an end to the disedifying quarrel by withdrawing the papal nuncio from Cologne and by sending a representative to the Diet to arrange the terms of peace. The reply of Pius VI, covering as it did the whole ground of the controversy, contained a masterly defense of the papal rights and prerogatives, 1789. The Archbishop of Trier publicly withdrew his adhesion to the punctuation and advised his Gallican colleagues to do likewise, but they refused, and in the election agreement of 1790 and 1792 they sought to pledge the emperors to support their policy. At last the archbishops of Cologne and Salzburg made their submission, but the archbishop of Mainz clung obstinately to his views until the storm of the French Revolution broke over his city and territory, and put an end to his rule as a temporal prince. In Tuscany, where Leopold, brother of Joseph II, reigned, 1765-90, a determined attempt was made to introduce Febronian principles, as understood and applied in Austrian territory. Leopold was supported strongly in this attempt by Scipio Ricci, who, though a Jansenist at heart, had been appointed to the bishopric of Postillier at the request of the Grand Duke. The bishop of Postillier set himself deliberately to introduce Jansenism and Gallicanism amongst his clergy. For this purpose he established a seminary at Pistoyer, and placed it in the hands of teachers upon whom he could rely, for the carrying out of his designs. In 1786 the Grand Duke called a meeting of the bishops of the province, and explained to them in detail his program of ecclesiastical reforms. With the exception of the bishop of Pistoyer and two others, they refused to cooperate with him and his designs. This plan having failed, recourse was had to other measures. A synod was summoned at Pistoier, which was presided over by Scipio Ricci, and guided in its deliberations by Taverini, the well-known Gallican professor of Pavia, 1786. It was attended by over two hundred priests, some of whom belonged to the diocese, while others were total strangers. As might be expected, the decrees of the synod were strongly Gallican and Jansenist. To ensure their introduction into the province of Tuscany, a provincial synod of the bishops was called, but the bishops expressed their strong disapproval, and the people attacked the palace of the bishop. He was obliged to retire from his diocese. 
though at the same time he remained the active adviser of leopold until the death of joseph the second led to leopold's election to the imperial throne seventeen ninety and put an end to the disturbances in tuscany Pius VI appointed a commission to study the decrees of Pistoia, and in 1794 he issued the bull Octorum Fidei, in which the principal heirs were condemned. The unfortunate bishop refused for years to make his submission. It was only in 1805, on the return journey of Pius VII from the coronation of Napoleon at Paris, that he could be induced to make his peace with the Church. End of section 27